dude yeah that i did not realize it looked that cool in here show first of all introduce yourself and then we'll sh show our people that are watching if you're not watching by the way chillinoinet slash video sitting here with charles Wu. charles reintroduce yourself to the chillinoy podcast great well cole thanks for having me my name is charles uh i'm the guy behind uh shy tiva uh that is our consumer brand we are a uh cannabis uh experience i guess that is very unique and really only available in a few spots right now in illinois so if you got a sec you want me to kind of show you the whole uh, I, I can do the virtual walkthrough from my let's laptop. do it dude let's do it okay so hold on for a sec we'll start from the outside so we are in wicker park right now uh right off the six corners so that's north uh, Milwaukee and Damon. So great hot area. You can kind of see the outside of where we're at and everything. So we'll come on. Say in the here. address again for people that want to Google it and go there. Sure. Uh, just look up Shaitiva. It's okay. Chicago and Sativa. So that's the easiest way to look us up. Perfect. So you walk on in and usually we have, you know, our security guys just kind of in the back, but we've got, you know, security up front to make sure everything's are good. They come on in. Uh, we require ID scans. So you'll come in, you'll check in with your phone number. So if I were to check in and say with my phone number, I'll just make a number up. Right. And then we ask for a license scan. So that's how we scan and check IDs. And ultimately, this stuff is important, right? Because even though our legally we fall under, you know, hemp derived cannabinoids, uh, we still want to be good citizens and we want to make sure that we're not selling to underage people. And if there's ever a problem with anything, a traceability issue, we have, you know, the person who came in, we have their ID, we have their phone number. So we can contact them and say, hey, you know, those gummies you bought or whatever from this batch number has some issues. So regulatory compliance and safety aside, we then walk in, you see. And one of the things we have here, which is great, is uh, we make incredible pastries. Our pastry chef has actually won a James Beard Award. So you see that that's a fruit tart right there. Here we've got a nice chocolate cake. We've got other uh, all sorts of wonderful products. You've got this whole display right over here. You see one of our bud tenders putting together a slice of uh, cake right now. Are you infusing that or? Okay. And yep. what so, what she say? Sorry, our audience. Oh, you missed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's that one was not infused, but we do infuse. So you can see you, we've got a uh, cheesecake. We've got an Oreo cheesecake. We've got some uh, chocolate bars right there. You got truffles, you got macaroons, you got lollipops, all sorts of wonderful things here. Actually, if you see over there, that's actually a liquid nitrogen tank. All of our nitrogen Whoa. is made uh, through a liquid nitrogen process. So if you're, for those ice cream aficionados, that's like the best and creamiest ice cream process you can get. There. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And then you go down, you can see like we're we're known for our infused slushies. So all of our slushies are there. And, you know, they all fall under 0.3% in terms of weight. So everyone's happy. And then we also go to like normal packaged goods. So, you know, we've got the basics like flowers and edibles and everything on that. I'll show you can kind of see the vibe of everybody here. We're just doing a little virtual tool for some people. Just see people enjoying, having a good time. And then I'll just come over here. I'll take you to the back. You can see the back here. This is kind of the kitchen. One of our smaller ones. But this is where, you know, the magic happens. 
this is probably the coolest thing that's ever been done on the Chilomoy podcast. If you're not watching it right now, you're missing out. So yeah. Hell yeah. That is so cool. That is so cool. Uh, Charles, thank you for giving us the tour. That looks like an awesome place. I got to go there once again. C-H-I Tiva. Chai Tiva. If you're trying like to Chicago look at and, Think of like Chicago and Sativa put together. Bingo. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Well, thank you. It's been a while since we've talked. Uh, how have you been, dude, before we get into it? You been well? Yeah. I mean... I think when we had first talked, we were waiting or we had maybe just applied for a license or whatnot. And in our case, I guess we've, I wouldn't say fallen off the beaten path, but we had to find a different way forward. So we've got into the world of uh, hemp derived cannabinoids and, you know, we still have our grow. We still have our manufacturing facilities and stuff like that. But, you know, what initially the license delay caused, you know, it was, a lot of frustration and consternation. You know, they talk about making lemons out of lemonade. We found a whole new world, which uh, under this regulatory structure allows us to do amazing things like what you see there in terms of uh, everything you've got. That's so cool. Um, and what do you mean by license delay? Like, like remind me, did you apply for like a craft grow license or something or what? Yeah, I mean, we were like many of the other usual suspects. We applied through us and a bunch of partners, a couple of craft grows, a bunch, you know, 10 dispensaries, you know, the transporter side, all those sorts of things on that side. And we actually, it's interesting. One of our partners won a craft grow uh, and we have not yet started the process to deploy because there are a lot of, as you're aware, regulatory hurdles uh, and structural problems in the market right now that make it hard. Like the business models are really hard to make work. Yeah. Are you referencing like the fact that you're limited to 5,000 square feet canopy? Is um, that one of the main ones or is there other things that are standing in your way? That is an issue. The bigger issue is more about how do you actually, you know, we're past we're past the stage of the market where if you build it, they will come. And I'm not saying that flower is like, you could grow like the most amazing flower and stuff like that. I mean, we know a thing or two about growing. The issue is how do you get that? Like, how do you get that flower to the consumer? And more importantly, how does the consumer even know or can tell the difference on like, that flower right and ultimately i'm not saying that flower is not important and or anything and that good flower doesn't come out but i look at flower nowadays it's more like milk in the grocery store everyone who goes to the dispensary picks up flour right just like we pick up milk in the grocery store but very few people except for maybe like the one percent that know the specifics of like you know like the pointy end most people are like, is it sativa? Is it indica? What's the percentage? Or is it hybrid? And they just call it a day and they go by the name. And that's the other aspect, you know, of Illinois, like you can't taste this stuff. You can't do any of those sorts of things. So yeah, from a regulatory, between regulatory, between go-to-market challenges and all those sorts of things, it's a very hard path to move forward on right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
Cool, man. Well, I got to make a visit to Chitiva. I want to talk to you about that afterwards. Maybe we can line something up. If I want to make sure that it's at a time that you're able to be there too. So, so yeah. that maybe we can do like another podcast or whatever while I consume your goods. Um, no, but, that, that would be fun. Cool. Um, but um, I uh, wanted to get into, and I wanted to try to hear a recap. I've been trying to so we're trying to document history right now, folks. That's kind of the the Chilinoy pro project, if you will, is to to document cannabis history. We definitely talk about more than cannabis on the show, but definitely have a focus on cannabis and and documenting the history. And so, just in the spirit of that, for folks that are listening, check out episode two thirty two. Um, we've got a document that's in the making that you can get access to that document. V uh, one of that document. Uh, by checking out episode number 232, we're currently making an updated version of that document. So just a little background before I get back to you, Charles, uh, the document uh, lays out the history of cannabis in Illinois from 1978 to, because that's actually when it started for folks that don't know, uh, for our cannabis nerds, all the way to, to the first day of adult use sales. Now that's what V2 and, and future versions are going to be. We're going to go from day one of adult use sales to modern day, right? And so part of part of that is is this podcast and and Charles to wrap back to you, I've been documenting perspectives of what happened during this legislative session. And um I think before we get to this legislative session, maybe we can if you have any knowledge and if you want to just start with this legislative session, we can, but I thought it was important to talk about the fact that there have been talks about kind of locking down all the cannabinoids for, for longer than this legislative session. Like some people, and I'm not you, but I've heard other people say like, Oh, this thing came out of nowhere, this Delta eight thing. I mean, it definitely did come up and become in everybody's forefront in their mind out of kind of nowhere, these sens sensationalized news stories. But let's just be clear, you know, business interests in, Canada, in Illinois have been wanting to kind of lock this down so that it's only what they can sell for a while. So I guess, do you have any wisdom to impart before this legislative session is my first question? Oh, yeah, actually. Yeah, that's probably, there's always context to everything, right? So yeah, if you're okay, I'm happy to go back in time because let's do we've it. We've been in this I figured. literally, yeah, we've been in this since the beginning. So I'm sure as you're well aware, the dispensary licensing process and the rollout of social equity licenses on the recreational market has been a little underwhelmed. Right? And and you're laughing, but I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not the type that likes to point fingers. Sure. So if we go back in time to January, 2020, um, license applications came out and the original plan was dispensaries would what come out, I think by February, no, no, April or May of 2020. And then craft grows would come out by June of 2020. That, that was the plan. And then COVID happened and that was a completely unexpected thing. So the world ground to a halt. And instead of coming out, issuing dispensary licenses in, what was it? May of 2020, the first licenses came out, 
I think sometime last summer or last fall because of all the litigation and the lawsuits and the delays and all those sorts of things. Um, same could be said on the craft rows. I know the first craft, there was an initial set that came out. I think it was, was it 2021 or I, I don't remember it. I, it. It was around the same time the dispensaries came out. They were, they were just delayed. Um, now here's the thing everyone doesn't realize is the delay really gave the existing incumbents a huge leg up because when recreational came out, Oh, you're muted. Cole. And really quick, I wanted to just ask you, you're right. It did give them a, a, a definite advantage, but I wanted to kind of add to that before you got any deeper, because you mentioned dispensaries came first and then craft cultivation. One thing that Mike Malcolm, one of the first guests on this show has always pointed out. Um, he may have pointed it out in our first few episodes, but he's definitely pointed out to me in like private conversation that that has always been kind of a direct hand handout to the existing licensees. The fact that dispensaries were like, if it would have went to plan, the fact that dispensaries would have been online first, all those social equity dispensaries would have had to buy from those cultivators. Isn't that crazy? If you thought about it, right? Oh yeah, like, no, 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 no. That's it, pretty it crazy. Was... So I just wanted to add to your point. I felt like yeah, that it... added to you versus what you're saying. You know, and I don't, you know, the thing is, it's easy to sit here and be the peanut gallery and say, you know, Toy Hutchinson, blah, 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 and call her out. But the reality sure. is, if you go back in time, what Toy did and what other people, regulators in Illinois did was they were breaking new ground and everyone can criticize them, but you, you got to give them credit because they went out on a limb. They tried to do things. The reality of anyone doing something new, there's always going to be problems. So, you know, I'm not here to say, Toy, you didn't know what you're doing. I'm saying, Toy, you tried. You did the best you could. Great job. And then and who would have planned for COVID? Who would have planned for all the lawsuits, right? I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. That's that's life. But yes, if you go back and, you know, if we play Sunday afternoon quarterback and look at everything, it is a clear oversight to let dispensaries go first and then have craft grows come after the fact. And that's factoring in construction timeframes, growing timeframes, going online timeframes. Because even if it went up to schedule, I would imagine the social equity dispensaries might have done okay. But a standalone craft grow was not a viable business model because what you're dealing with here is the dispensary goes online, and this is the problem now, right? People are creatures of habit. So if your dispensary goes online and you've got that one chance to get shelf space for the first time, the guy that's got product in to get shelf space. And once the shelf space is there, once the velocity is there, people get used to what they're buying. I mean, look at yourself. I mean, you, I would probably consider you more of a flower connoisseur. So maybe you'll be a little more, you know, discerning. I'm sure you've got your habits and unless you really go out of your way and think about it, most people, they just go to the same place, right? We go to the same grocery stores. Yep. We buy the same stuff at the same grocery stores. We buy the same brands we know. And it's, there's a rule in marketing or you know, it's a guideline, but I'd like to say, you know, cause it's not a hard and fast, but there's a term called rule of three, right? It takes three times to set a habit. That's like dating, you know, by the third date, you know, if it's real and it's uh, huge for consumer consumer product sales, right? So I buy my first product and I try it for the first time. I buy it the second time 
and I do it my second time to see if I can repeat my experience. And then if I buy for the third time, I'm probably a lifelong customer unless you really screw up. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, going back, that was definitely an overlooked, you know, unforeseen. Yeah, just an unforeseen thing that, you know, the original originators of the CRTA didn't think, you know, weren't aware of because they were doing it for the first time. But regardless of that, what happened was because the legacy dispensaries were all there, they got the habits. They got the people buying. And then more importantly, there weren't 110 dispensaries back in January uh, 2020. So they got their dispensaries up. And then what happened is a lot of them got to move. So they got the dispensaries up and they got to all the best and prime real estate locations. So the market was basically captured. And what happens is a lot of people don't think about this. You really got to realize the Illinois dispensary shopper is not that price sensitive. I'm not saying they, they, like, they don't want to save a buck. We all do. But your price sensitive consumers, they've stayed in the legacy market because they don't want to pay taxes. So really, when you think about this, the dispensary shopper today is akin to the grocery shopper who goes to Whole Foods. And the Whole Foods shopper doesn't mind paying six bucks for a box of blueberries, even though they know they can get that same box of blueberries, you know, from Driscoll Farms or whatnot at Aldi or Pete's or Mariano's. They just like Whole Foods. And the challenge now in the dispensary business is... Well, let me take that back. If you can find a blue ocean, like a dispensary desert, you can still get a good business. But I think there's probably, after all the MSO, all the legacy guys, you know, cherry pick the best spots, there might be maybe, you know, 10 or 15 of them left across the state. And now with the new second gen, you know, social equity dispensaries opening, they probably grab most of those. So then what happens is you're going into a new market or an existing market with consumers who are buying from where they're buying, but they've already built their habits up. They've got their habits, they've got their points, they've got their loyalty programs. And I know everyone says, oh, the MSOs suck or whatever. They don't suck. I mean, these are, they're doing a decent job. You can go check their Google ratings. What, you've got 4.5 stars, you know, you're four star plus. So is it, can you do a little better? Possibly, but you know, they're not doing an awful job. So then what happens is you're really competing on two veins. One is tourism, the person that just comes one is, you know once in a while, which may be good, maybe not good, but that's not that lifetime repeat customer. And then you're competing against what I call the 7%, which is the 7% of the population that moves every year. And when they come to a new town, they will look for groceries. They will look for maybe a new weed place to look for new dry cleaners and everything on that side. So... That's a tough market. Yeah. And yeah. sorry, I went a, I probably went a little too far, but no, dude, not at all. This is what this yeah. podcast is for. This long format, nuanced conversation. I love it, dude. Again, history. Gotta no, definitely. It. So what happened there was with all the delays going on, there were some of us, I guess, more entrepreneurial types who had, and I'll I'll just speak for myself. We actually drank the Kool-Aid of being shovel ready. So I think we had talked on our earlier podcast a couple of years back. We had a facility ready to go because, you know, we actually read the rules and the rules stated you got to be producing product in six months. And if you don't, 
you're going to lose your license. So we are ready to produce products. Um, we weren't the only people. There are others out there. But essentially, we had to, I guess, what's the business turn? We had to pivot and find a new path forward. And, and we're not the only social equity organization that did this. There are others all across the state um, that said, hey, we can't play in cannabis right now because the licenses are all tied up in lawsuits. But we are actually scrappy business people, so we're going to go find a way. And that's how American entrepreneurialism works. And that's where then we said, well, there's this world called hemp. And in the world of hemp, there's all these other cannabinoids outside of just THC, right? There's THCA, there's Delta 8, there's Delta 10, there's Delta 11. You can go hydroxy. Like, there's all these other sorts of things. And basically, we had to innovate in order to uh, first kind of stay alive. And eventually, people like us have created a market um, in Illinois for these um, hemp-derived cannabinoids. I mean, the example I give is, you know, you got a world of taxi medallions, and the medallions are all taken. And you've got new entrepreneurs who are coming in, and someone comes with the idea saying, well, we can't get a medallion, but what if we write a little app and the app connects two people together, one that wants to drive and give rides and the other one that's looking for rides. And now you got something called Uber coming out. So that's kind of the context. Now, what's interesting here is you're absolutely right. Laws about, uh, you know, you call hemp-derived cannabinoids, most commonly known as Delta-8, but there's a whole slew of everything outside of Delta-9. And then things that, you know, go over, you know, we stay under 0.3% of the Delta-9. So outside of that, there's all this other sort of stuff of, you know, I say regulated cannabis is over 0.3% Delta-9. We are under 0.3% Delta-9 and all the other stuff uh, that's not available in the market today. And we've actually been pushing for regulation. So uh, we had worked, if you recall, there was originally a CBD bill put out by uh, Representative Bob Morgan, which then uh, evolved into a bill that had been uh, chaired by uh, Senator Castro, who had done a wonderful job of trying to bring stakeholders together, and that bill died. And then we even tried to put forth legislation to say, hey, you know, there are these hemp-derived cannabinoids. Some of these may be intoxicating, and some of these may be smokable. So we can't have children buying this stuff because currently there's no law preventing that from happening. So we put that language forward. We tried to put a bill through, and that died too. So the reality here, and actually even before what happened here, uh, Representative Ford, uh, LaShawn Ford, who'd been working on the omnibus, the cannabis omnibus bill, he had also uh, put together a uh, what he called the Delta Working Group. So as part of the working group, he had put together, he was bringing together stakeholders, us included, but also big cannabis to come together and talk about, hey, how can we work together? Because the big cannabis people, they keep saying, oh, this stuff is unsafe. It's unregulated. They're selling to underage people. They won't go through packaging and labeling standards. They won't do any of that stuff. So Rep Ford tried to bring us all, brought us all together. And we went there and we presented and said, hey, you know, we do ID checks. You just saw how we check IDs and we track all our purchases. We've got packaging. We've got labeling. We will test our stuff. You know, we do all these things because we want to create safe and quality products. 
And we are happy to go through regulation. We're happy to, you know, pay taxes to the fund. We're happy to do all these sorts of things. And what was interesting is prior to all this quote unquote last minute assault that occurred, uh, everyone in the big cannabis, well, not everybody, but there were certain people that were like, they, 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 they just wanted to kill us. There was no rhyme or reason. It was just, you guys are illegal. You guys suck. You can't play in our fish pond. We don't care. Well, and it, I mean, it's also that they could make money off of those products if they only had, if they had well, a that, control on that too. You know? well, 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 that's the reality. The reality of the situation is, you know, this whole public health emergency that was quote unquote created because there was a Tribune article that came out in early May and then a WGN news story that showed about five high schoolers who had, you know, bought. I don't know if they bought or they'd gotten some, you know, Delta eight gummies from a smoke shop that was too close to a school and had had to go to the hospital. Like that was, you know, the funny thing is behind the scenes, we know the PR company, we know they've been pitching all the news stories and we know that PR company, we know who funds those PR companies. Is it Matteo communications? You know, uh, I'm not the type of person that just is going to go, you know, point out and call names. Um, or anything on Why that not? Side. They wanted so, to make you a criminal, Charles. I know, but you know, there's there's one of those things where you still don't, you know, the people I respect out there, it, but I'm, you the, know, the people the people out there who know what they're doing, they're knowing what they're doing. I'm gonna talk general trends. I'm not gonna say this person did it, that person did it, that person did it. But there was a PR engine that was being funded by the large operators. I think you highlighted some of those large operators so everyone can read the year, one of your articles and know what happened. Those large operators also participated in this working group. And despite everything we said about wanting to be regulated, operating under safe standards, they couldn't get past the fact that we were selling stuff to kids. They killed our bill, making it illegal to sell this stuff to people under 21, and this has been going on for years. And then they used the fact that someone under 21 bought this stuff and waved it around and made us look like a bunch of spice dealers or, you and know. Not you specifically, right? You're, you're not Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> they also hired retired DEA agents to actually scope out hemp businesses. I mean, this is like the war on drugs, dude. They scope businesses like us out. And, you know, in, in our case, we offer grow tours. So we've been advertising on Groupon that, hey, if you want to see, you know, plants as they're grown, see how they're clones, how they're all, you know what I mean? So literally, they had these undercover DEA agents. They bought a ticket to it. Looks like they bought it. Well, we know on the camera because we know the guys that did it. They bought a ticket to our grow tours. We even They even asked for us to, like, get, like, leaves and stuff like that. And we saw this stuff appear like in little plastic bags as if it was like drugs and stuff like that in a presentation to this working group. I mean, it was the, I mean, it was, I mean, basically it's like these large companies, they can't like the $2 billion cannabis market isn't enough. The fact that there's an additional market of uh, hemp derived cannabinoids 
that's not enough, but they don't want to actually compete because they're not built that way, right? They're, they're built to be monopolies. So like when you look at a lot of these companies who are like these publicly traded MSOs, you can see all these announcements. They're pulling out of California. They're pulling out of Oregon. They're pulling out of Colorado because those are states without limited licenses. Their entire business model is to spend a lot on governmental relations, get into a limited license system, and then grab those licenses and prevent competition from entering in. And that's why we've got the most expensive cannabis crisis in the country still, because, you know, the large operators, and that's the thing, everyone always underestimates them. They are incredibly smart. They've got money, so they pay the best and the brightest people, and they can figure stuff out. And, and you know, that's the issue, even when you look at this whole dispensary system. Everyone says social equity failed, and they blame the regulators, and they blame our government officials. You really can't blame them. I mean, they put together a good program, but if you've got somebody with billions of revenue who's going to hire, you know, the smartest people in the world whose jobs are to find ways to, you know, gerrymander a system, I mean, it's going to happen. Right, right. I mean, and I was just trying to pull up just to to prove your point. I'm, I'm, we've got the document I referenced earlier kind of includes some quotes to prove your point. I'll, if I can pull it up in a moment, I will, but all of these large companies uh, proudly say on like investment things that they go on TV, that they look for limited license markets, places where there are high barriers to entry. They call it a regulatory moat. Um, I mean, and, and that's why these, what we do, there's, so threatened by us because they don't want social equity. They don't real. They, they talk social equity, but they don't really want social equity entrepreneurs. They don't really want innovation. They don't want people like us because then they'd have to compete. Right. Right. So, so really, and so this is really the sad thing, right? Here guys, they're blocking our safety regulation. And, and here's the other thing. And I'm not saying, you know, that everybody in the hemp industry is perfect, right? In any new industry, there's always going to be bad actors, right? Just sure. like people driving on the highway. There's always someone that's going to go over the speed limit, no matter what, while 98% of the people do. But, you know, I like to say responsible hemp businesses like myself and others who have been pushing for this legislation and who had to fight the fight against big cannabis, we want rules. We want we we believe in rules because we want our consumers to be safe. We want to build trust. We want to do positive things for the community. And what's happening is the large companies, these large cannabis companies, are blocking our ability to put rules in and then they go find a bad actor or they go do a setup and they say, oh, hey, look at this guy. You know, this guy who's got his business license out of whack, who hasn't paid his taxes, who hasn't done this, you know, <laughs> he's representative of everybody in the hemp space. So because of that, you know, he's selling, you know, Delta 8 gummies to minors or kids and he should be banned. <laughs> it's like if I went and looked for the worst cannabis, you know, company out there, and said the entire industry is just like these guys. I mean, that 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 doesn't make sense, right? I mean, I recognize that 
the large companies, you know, they are regulatory companies. They do testing. They're very careful on their labeling and they care about making safe products. And that's fair. But you can't look at them and then say, hey, here's a bad actor who got their license suspended because they didn't know what the heck they were doing or they were cutting corners and say, hey, now those guys are the reason for why this industry sucks. Do, do you see yeah. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so I, I guess I got a little animated and everything. But, you know, I think before we get into what happened, well, it- these... And I just want to say, like, you're not opposed to those labeling and the testing and stuff. Like, let's make it clear. Like, you like that. You want your customers to come in and know what they're getting, and you do that, right? Here's the thing. And you uh, ID. So, oh, yeah. I mean, we, we ID, we track, we you do all this sort of stuff. Here's the thing, and, and this is the thing. Uh, our facilities and our systems, like, we actually, like, for example, on the testing side, one of our partners uh, that's part of this like, you know, small group of re- responsible hemp companies has uh, a pretty sophisticated processing facility. And as part of their processing facility, um, they have both an HPLC and a QTOP. Um, I'm not sure if you know what a QTOP or an HPLC yeah. is or anything like that, but that is like the crown jewel of testing. So they have the ability, like large cannabis companies, uh, some of them that you are know I've actually gone to their facility and said, oh, my gosh, we can't even get anywhere near this level of sophistication and testing and all that sort of stuff. And actually, if you come to Chicago, you should we should have you to do a tour of Brian's place. Like, it's amazing. Like what people don't realize is or what that people what the cannabis industry is trying to portray is that we're a bunch of, you know, Walter White's from Breaking Bad or whatever. We're cooking stuff, you know, in the basement. We're not putting gloves on. We're just like breaking anything. And that's not the case. I mean, the hemp industry is actually, you know, it's still a growing industry, but you have reputable players who who have invested a lot of time, resources, and efforts. You have social equity people who have just been great entrepreneurs. And because they're not fettered by all this regulatory, you know, games that are being played, They've been able to build good businesses. They built them in local communities. They give back. You know, they they do all these sorts of things, and that's the narrative that the big guys don't want anyone to know. They want us to be, you know, basically, um, you know, drug dealers that are illegal, because they want that market for themselves. Because two billion is not enough. And then, and this does see like how immature people are. It's like, okay, if you can't have it, then nobody can. So absent the, the, you know, hemp being, you know, our market being given to them, their other option is to ban us and create a public and, you know, fabricate a PR driven public health emergency. Right. I don't know. Did you get a chance to, uh, did you see the Tribune, uh, a guy called Bob McCoppin? Um, he's a pretty well-known reporter and he usually writes very balanced articles. Did you see the article he put out about what was going on? I skimmed it. Tell me your perspective on it. Well, um, obviously I thought the daily Herald did the best coverage on this whole situation, but nobody knows who that is. I haven't seen it actually. Yeah. If you can send me that link, I'd love to check it out. Sure. But Bob did an article and I'm not too thrilled about it because well, Obviously, on my side, you know, I'm very passionate about what I do. 
You know, Bob's article was balanced. But really, that's the best you can ask for from a journalist from the Chicago Tribune, right? You know, you're not going <laughs> to... He's a smart guy and he's not going to, you know, he's going to take a balanced approach. But what was interesting is, you know, during the session, there was this WGN news story that was going around. And it was about these five uh, kids from a high school that had overdosed on uh, dummies bought from a hemp drive, you know, bought from a smoke shop that was under the hemp law. Now, that obviously is unacceptable. And that sort of stuff needs to stop. And this is why we propose this regulatory stuff. But what Bob did was he said, hey, this happened and this is clearly a problem. But hey, two months earlier, I did a report and there were a bunch of high school juniors who had grabbed, you know, gummies from a cannabis store and they'd gotten overdose and they also ended up going to the hospital. And in fact, if you look at the statistics, cannabis overdoses since legalization have increased dramatically because of all this, you know, because of the wider availability. Do you see what I mean? So it's like, here's an example. And, you know, Bob does a good job of presenting a balanced point, but, but here's an example where the lobbyists and the MSOs, they're going to, I'd say, obfuscate the truth with the facts. So the fact is, hey, there is a bad actor smoke shop that allowed children to buy these gummies. And those children, and they're selling products that are probably from out of state. So they're not even, you know, being responsible for what the needs are for Illinois people. And those children do what teenagers do and took too much that happens and i'm not saying that's right but it, that also happens in i was gonna say it's not you oh sorry you're probably about to say it what were you about to say oh, no. it also happens in what that happens in alcohol i mean think of how many of us in college you know did keg stands and drank too much and ended up at, you know dude i heard today that happens today. i was in a frat that's happening with regulated cannabis Go ahead. yeah I heard today, uh, I was talking to the Illinois Hemp Growers Association, uh, they said that um, from numbers they looked at, caffeine, like energy drinks, actually have more poison control calls for, for children, like like when children are admitted or whatever, however that works, that if you look at the numbers, a lot of them are calling because of uh, heart reactions with like energy drinks. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Hey, and and there's no second? age limit on that shit. Oh, hey, hey, sorry. Cole, can you give me one quick second? Maybe pause. I got yeah, it. Yeah. I, I were actually. Yeah. Cool. Hey, sorry about that. Let's get back into it. So, yeah, I mean, everything you say is true. And I'm not trying to say that we don't need regulations. We've been pushing for regulations. Right. Heck, right. I've between, you know, what we call our responsible hemp companies over the last couple of years, we've spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on lobbying and education and all this sort of stuff to try to actually put together sensible regulations for hemp-derived cannabinoids. And what are those in a nutshell? I mean, it seems like you're practicing them already, IDing people, having labeling, but go ahead. What yeah, are sensible? I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, a lot of them are, uh, a lot of them are similar to, you know, cannabis regulations, right? Over 21, 
certain labeling practices, certain packaging tests, you know, practices, you know, don't want, you know, cute animals. So children look at the gummies and stuff like that. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. There's actually a bill uh, that Rep Ford, or no, no, not Rep Ford, uh, Rep Representative Nichols put together uh, and was co-sponsored by, you know, some of the more hemp friendly uh, representatives that we actually tried to put forward put forth during the session that obviously kind of didn't make it through. Um, but it it's a lot of these sorts of things. There's a few nuances with hemp that's a little different than what how Illinois cannabis works because, you know, we're federally legal. So we have to kind of also normalize with uh, federal rules and stuff like that because of, you know, interstate commerce and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I mean... Many of the things that, you know, I'd say our regulations might be more on par with alcohol because of the whole, you know, interstate commerce aspect of it. And we have to still allow for out-of-state people to, uh, you know, import products. Um, I uh, had a clip pulled up um, before we kind of get to to kind of the crux of our conversation um just really quick to kind of prove your point on the market structure i i think it's cool to listen to a podcast we're just going to listen to like a minute or so of it just about a minute it was recorded three years ago and it includes a ceo of one of the big companies and i just i'm, I'm playing it because it it's interesting to hear how they looked at the the early market, the medical cannabis market, which became what we know today, uh, which is mu not much different, frankly. Uh, let's let's watch this video. I've yeah. never heard that before. I like that. Uh, yeah, comfort index. Uh, that's probably the chief investment principle I use is how comfortable you are. One of the chief ways mm -hmm. you can tell how comfortable you are is how well you sleep. If right. you have a sleepless night's sleep, you got a problem probably, maybe. Um, anyway, uh, Looking at businesses, we saw, and I read uh, Governor Quinn signed a law in 2013 for the medical cannabis pilot program. And I read the law one day and it looked a lot to me like the gaming industry where there were limited licenses for a lot of demand. And that set up as a nice business opportunity. And so I dove in in a diligence project to study as much as I could about the industry, traveled to Denver uh, and decided that the business made sense uh, to invest in. Um, and then along the way, I've learned a ton about the product and the people and other things that we may talk about that, that have really generated a, a lot of momentum and things. But that's sort of my background of a finance lens uh, out in California of seeing the industry and seeing it come to viability um, and diving all the way in. So uh, we're going to stay a little bit more in the past and then we'll get into the, the present and the future. I think that's what I had uh, on that. It's just interesting to hear. Uh, there's a little bit more to that. Definitely folks listen into it. They talk more about what Charles was saying earlier, where they look for limited licenses. Um, and, and this stuff will be covered in the future history document I referenced earlier, including that podcast. So um, if you're wanting to look that up, it's uh, the Green Rush podcast. It looks like the name is Legacy, What Cannabis Can Learn from the Bourbon Industry with Ben Kovler, founder and chairman of GTI. Um, yeah, yeah, GTI. Yep. So, uh, but anyways, I wanted to just kind of prove your point that these big companies look for things like that. I mean, he described it as he looked how the law looked at but how the law fairness, was written. And yeah, I mean, in, in fairness, what what we're dealing with here is just capitalism. You know, um, 
but it's kind of not though it's kind of not no, because it's, no, it's it is, but it's you look at you look at Google, you look at Facebook, you know, when, but that company... that's actually a great example because Brad Spear, I don't mean to bring Brad into this, but Brad Spearson reported on web 1.0, which started in Champaign, Urbana, Illinois. And there was no limitation on licenses for internet companies that could start up. Like it was like, good luck, buddy. Get well, fucked. True, you know what but I mean? True to some extent, but there became a massive limit when Microsoft point. had windows and they literally put Firefox and Mozilla out of business. Good point. Right? Because the yeah. champagne company that came out was Netscape. They had that Netscape True. browser. At one point, it was a popular browser. Then Microsoft came around and said, hey, get out we want to be in the browser business. We're going to put you out of business. Right. And then what happened is the government had to step but in and that's... say, wait. Sorry, go ahead. I don't no, no, no. The government had to step in and say, hey, Microsoft, we think you're a monopoly. True. Not a good thing. So, I mean... I'm not, the the thing is, and this is where I guess it becomes government relations and all that sort of stuff. The cannabis companies are monopolies in Illinois. I don't know the exact number, but I think I've seen stuff where it's like six companies control 80% of all the production that's created, which means all the distribution and all that. So, you know, it's all going to them. And I mean, if there was no 10 dispensary limit, I bet there'd be a company with 80 dispensaries. Yeah, no, those are good provisions. I want to say those license limitations are good. And they, I, I point to people like Shaleen Title for crafting regulations like that. Folks, Google the name Powerhouse and Cannabis that came up with regulations like that, or at least champions yeah. them. Um, no, no, but, that, that was I, smart, but oh, go ahead. I was going to ask you just because like I've not talked to a craft cultivator or a social equity licensee yet. It seems to be supportive of an open license market. Do you support limited licenses? Like if you were to have get gotten that license or you say you partnered with people, like what do you think about limited licenses? Because that's what Ben Kovler was just talking about. Like he likes that because it's, you can raise prices artificially. What was your, what do you feel? In my about personal, that? you know, the so I'm not a fan. I, I, I like, I personally like open markets personally, because I believe that it's about the world's about entrepreneurialism and I like innovation. I, I've always been that person. Now there are practical realities and you know, the, the challenge you have is. I like the mixture well, of an open market with those limitations. It, it, it would, it would, uh, the limitations we have, in fact, the 10, three, like if we just opened it up, but kept those limitations, think about it. Everybody yeah, would mean, have a chance, but nobody could get bigger than anybody else. Think about I mean, that. The thing, no, which I'm fine with that. The thing is, anyone out there is going to say, well, Charles, you, you know, we have a partner that has a license, but I didn't get the license myself. So with the partner, the terms aren't the same as if I had won the license. Do you see what I mean? So what people will then say is, well, Charles, you're only for unlimited licenses because you didn't get a license in the process and my answer is honestly if i had won a license i'd still be in the same spot because the structure of how illinois cannabis the regulated cannabis market is set up it's i i I can't make that business model work you see what i mean i don't know though like i i guess i don't see sorry i don't see what you mean because like these people like i said i've talked to social equity like i see what you're saying i don't want to like dismiss what you're saying i see what you're saying but 
when I talk to these social equity licensees that have gotten their license and have been through all these troubles, I ask them, would you have rather just been able to pay for your license and then just like start operating versus all these stupid fucking things, the lottery, everything else? Like, and they say no. They say no because these limitations allow them. If if you didn't have these limitations, the market would be flooded. The prices would fall. They can't be profitable, which makes sense. I'm not saying that doesn't make but sense. But, but, like, but that's I don't not fault the them. case. That's you know? not the case because look at me. I'm in the hemp-derived cannabinoid space. I am one amongst thousands of competitors. Are the prices falling in some cases? Sure. But I create value. Look at the restaurant industry today. There's nothing about a restaurant that no one else can do, except that you actually have to create value. So really what you have is the guys that want, you, you got to keep in mind, there's a bit of a natural selection process in terms of license winners, where the people that can win licenses, like, how do I say this? A good entrepreneur is not always a great lawyer. You see what I mean? Yes. So, thank you. The license. So what you, yeah, go ahead. And it's no different. It's like my chef, who's won a James Beard Award, can't type on a computer. He just doesn't type on a computer. So it's like you've got this guy that is incredibly talented, incredibly gifted, you know, studied at the French pastry school, you know, like can do all this sort of stuff. How is he's not the guy that he doesn't have the expertise to win a license, to win a license in a limited right. license state, you need to be an expert, which means you need to be a lawyer, which means you need to probably have a banker involved and you have to, you know, have lobbyists and governmental connections and that's fine. But what you're real, what you got to recognize is all the winners, it's, it's natural selection. They all skew to in that world. So they're afraid of competition because their expertise is all about legal or lobbying or playing the system. So then if you put them in an open market against some chef or an actual entrepreneur or a social equity guy who has had to like, you know, fight his way through life and knows how to do all this sort of stuff. I mean, they can't compete. It's really, I mean, I'll give you an example. Let's talk about Ben. Um, I don't know him personally. I just know of him. But I do know he went to the same school uh, my daughter went to. Francis Parker. Francis Parker, when I my daughter was there, was spending twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars a year for kindergarten. So the guy comes from a family that goes to one of the most elite schools, and he's a good guy. I'm sure he's really smart. He's done very well with GTI, but like he's definitely has some advantages. Do you see what I mean? So now you've got these guys who might have been, you know, what real social equity is, right? Some person who pulled himself up by the bootstraps. Maybe, you know, their grandma was in, you know, the only one around because the war on drugs took away all the men from the family. You know, maybe he got shot on the way or whatever. It was by hook or by crook. He made it out. He got himself a good job. He became an entrepreneur. Those guys can't make it because they're not governmental lobbyists. You know, like they're innovators and entrepreneurs that don't understand the world of government lobbying and then specifically Illinois lobbying. Do you see what I mean? Dude, you're preaching, man. Like, I mean, it, it's, 
it's a completely acquired taste. Like I have lobbyists and, you know, I can't just afford them all myself and stuff like that. But, you know, so it's a bunch of us that we pool for lobbyists and my lobbyist likes, you know, my, the guy I work with and the other girl and the other guy, they like me, but they're like, Charles, okay, whenever you go to Springfield, we got to clean you up. This is what you can say. This is what you can't say. You talk too much. You give out too much information. It is what it is. And it's not that you're a bad person, but you got to speak their language. You got to talk to them in the right way because if you're just yourself, you're going to step on your own toes and you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, I'm really smart at one thing. And this thing, I don't know anything about. You know, it, it's kind of like I, I use it. It's called like the neurosurgeon uh, example, right? The person who's like really good at brain surgery, you ask them to go fix a car. They don't know anything about that. They, they can't do it because, and they might be smart, but like they don't know how to fix a car because they're a brain surgeon and they've never fixed a car. So going back to your licensing and all that, the nature of a limited license state that is very competitive is you have to play the system and know how to play the system and have experience playing the system. And if you have all that life experience doing all that sort of stuff, you've gotten really good at playing the system. And you're phenomenal at that. Right. But you probably don't know how to run a business because if you're running a business, you wouldn't have had the time to become good at the legal, the regulatory, the system <laughs> and stuff like that. Thank you, man. Like I, uh, they made, so in other words, I'll put it a little bit, like, I love what you said. I'm not trying to say it, but just to put it in a bottle, um, they made the licensing pro and you kind of, you did actually say this unquote, the licensing process was competitive instead of the business. Like the li licensing should just be like, what do you, what do I owe you for a license? How do I need to comply for this license? That's, that is as simple as licensing should be in my opinion. Do you agree on that? Like, what do I owe you? And what do I have to do to keep this license? So you don't fucking take it away from me. I mean, maybe yeah, there's I mean, more to that. I mean, it, it I, the, from my perspective, cannabis, and this is also in our uh, hemp derived cannabinoid legislation that we're proposing you know, I'll actually share my screen since you did. Sure. Or yeah, do, I can, do it. If you you, you got to let oh, me. Oh share. yeah, hold on. Uh, or you I know can... what? I I I can give you the link. No, I'll let or you do whatever. it. I'll let you do oh, okay. it. Um, yeah, let me share my screen. Yep, you should be able to now. Yeah. So this was the bill that we put forth in the session, uh, HB forty one oh one. Cyril Nichols, Vela, Lashawn Ford, uh, Maurice West, and Carol Ammons were the primary sponsors, and. You know, there's some serious testing, right? These are the testing requirements, you know, a back mean 300 parts per billion, you know, all this stuff that we're testing for, you know, all these crazy words of potential things that can mess you up that I don't understand, but scientists do, right? So like, we're testing for residual, so you know, because all these people say these hemp guys, that stuff's full of residual solvents and blah, blah, blah. So it's going to be poison. Well, heck, our bill says, these are the result, residual solvent limits for ingestion, you know, this much, blah, 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 so much, blah, 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 blah. And if you look at these numbers against any anything in the CRTA, I, I'm, I'm happy to put this side to side. So the fallacy, which I find annoying, is there's actually a bill from the hemp industry that says we want to be regulated. We have all this. And, you know, the MSOs are saying this. they're trying to create an issue so that we get banned through a knee-jerk reaction so that they can gain more market share. But one of the things about the bill is we don't have license limits. We're saying as long as you're willing to go through and follow these regulations, 
inflations, similar to how liquor is and everything like that, right? As long as you're going to get your basset card or whatnot, or if it's food, you got to follow food safety standards and pass your food inspection, you can open as a restaurant. And we are, this is a discussion. We probably, I, I, we might do limits like, hey, you can't have more than 10 locations, or maybe it's like a three tier system, or I, I, I don't know what we're going to do. I encourage you side. to do that. Uh, I encourage you to check out Shaleen Title's paper, Bigger is Not Better. So she, she recommends that you don't issue, you do not limit the number of licenses that can be issued, but you limit the number of licenses any entity may own. This just goes back to antitrust stuff, which I'm not going to pretend to know about. I know I just said that as if I know what that means. What I what I understand it to mean is to prevent things like you referenced earlier with Microsoft monopolies, which frankly, we don't have anything to protect against in any other industry. So her point is, what better time than now to start crafting you know, these types of protections uh, to protect yeah. you know. You know, there's, you know, now we'll get a little philosophical, but, you know, keep in mind, right, I'm a capitalist like everyone else. So sure. since I'm a small guy, I'm going to do this. But, you know, what's what's the, that term? I think it's like Hobbes from the Leviathan. You know, absolute power corrupts everybody. So here I am, you know, poking at Ben. Well, I'm not really poking him, but I'm, you know, calling him out because I don't, but, you know, he's a successful person. Sure. If I was in his shoes and I had no fetters or anything like that, I would probably try to kill the hemp industry too. I can come up with other ways. I mean, it's just. That's the troubling <laughs> thing is that I have to be honest as a person, I can relate to what they are doing. It all makes sense when you think about it. Like if you oh, limit, yeah. if you limit the number of licenses, like one of the biggest complaints that I read online is like, yeah, the prices are high, but it is sometimes hard to find a guy. And you know, like if you've never been able to find a guy, that's frustrating for you because then it's like there's one shop in town and you go there, the prices are high. You can't even barely do refunds or exchanges. And their attitude is, where the fuck are you going to go? You can't find a guy. I'm the only show in town, bitch. Like, I'm well, the only person that's allowed to sell weed, you know? That was their attitude, but now you've got more of these hemp guys coming right. around. And it is, Perfect in point. fairness, hemp doesn't do 100% of what's in a licensed dispensary. So there are differences, but what people are realizing is, hey, I can get similar experiences or different experiences. And you know what? I'm kind of sick of eating chicken all the time. Or literally the exact same. Am I wrong? Did we, uh, Phil, my friend Phil brought up a really good point. Like some of the flour you can find in Illinois dispensaries could technically pass under the farm bill because it's THCA dominant. Yeah. I mean, if it, again, it depends on, uh, that's, a. Uh, regulatory it's interesting that they focused on delta eight right but meanwhile i mean maybe you have thc in your store thca in your store right now and it's like that's literally the same thing they have in their dispensary it's interesting they they i'm not trying to make them go after that but it's just kind of interesting you know that they didn't even bring that up at all i think that gets well it was addressed in their band and everything like that but yeah no oh yeah yeah no it 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 was it was everything i mean they they know what they, they know what they're doing um, but yeah, okay. definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, there are certain, there are a lot of things that it's, I mean, it's Uber versus, it's, it's Uber versus taxi medallion sure. is really yep. what it boils down to. Is an Uber exactly the same as a taxi medallion? Yeah, the answer is no. But will an Uber get you home like a taxi medallion? Yeah, it happens. So is everything in the hemp store the exact same as everything in the cannabis store? No, it's different. 
but will it get you to your desired result? It's like comparing, you know, chicken places against taco places. You'll get full, you'll have a good experience. And ultimately, this is what it's about. It's like, imagine if the food industry was only like, you know, chicken sandwiches everywhere. And then like a taco guy comes out and then a sushi guy comes out and then, you know, a falafel guy comes out and the chicken guy's like, you know what? Protein, we have a license for protein. And that other stuff is not, protein. you know, it, it, it's crazy. You know, the worst thing I find is this whole uh, synthetic versus natural debate. You know, that they Dude, give I have like... a clip pulled up just for this. So keep going. I'll pull it up in a second, okay. though. I like I'll play it in a second. But it's like. Let's look at what we're actually doing and, in, in, you know, whether it's regulated cannabis or hemp or whatever. We're taking plants, we're pumping them, you know, it's called EC stacking, right? We're pumping them full of salts. We're doing all sorts of, you know, things. We're irradiating plants, you know, to kill all the bull. Like, we're putting them in artificial light. We're pumping them full of CO2. I mean, there's not much natural about that. Then we get this stuff and we extract it. You know, we put it in ethanol, right. we boil it, we eat it. And I guess you're right. The one thing that doesn't happen currently today with a Delta 9 extraction in an infusion process is that a molecule bond doesn't change. However, we're beating the crap out of it. It's like you look at like nano emulsification, right? We're taking these things, we're shaking them, we're running them through ultrasonic cavitation. Like all this stuff's happening is like, oh yeah, that's natural. And then this other guy that takes the stuff and changes it in a process no different than someone maybe taking willow bark and turning it into salicylic acid so you can make aspirin out of that because we don't want to chew willow bark for pain relief. Um, and they're saying we're the, th we're the synthetic bad people and they're like the natural good people. Sorry. But I'm sure you've got your clip. No, I do. But goddamn, man, that was brilliant. And you t you taught me something along the way. Let's play the clip. It's just a little bit over a minute as well uh, on this one. And I, it it only it not only touches on the synthetic cannabinoid thing, but it kind of touches on the thing the problem that um you pointed out with uh look, it's an honest critique of of Bob McCop. And actually, before we watch this video let's watch a 30 second video of another newscaster that i think contributed to uh what, what you were talking about uh irres i mean i'm gonna go out on a limb and say like i don't want to say irresponsible journalism but like we got to be careful like, we got to be mindful of of what we've learned from the past so let's watch this video really quick and then we'll play the the other clip i'm referencing and maybe what i just said will make a little bit more sense folks um let's watch the clip so here at Uplift Community High School, where Chicago fire officials have confirmed that five students are now at the hospital after eating edibles from a dispensary. We do know that four of them are listed in serious condition, one of them right now in critical. We're still waiting to hear back from Chicago police about just what happened here, how those students got their hands on those edibles and how it got inside of the school. But back out here live, we do know from Chicago fire officials that five students are now at the hospital after eating edibles. One of them listed in critical. So that's one of the stories that contributed to this whole mix. But let's let's uh, use that story. Well, it, and it, it's not just it's not just one of the stories. That is a redux of the same story that was packaged over and over again. That hit all around the same time to launch this public health emergency. 
if you actually look at all the stories, they're all referencing the same thing and they're hitting all the news at the same time. That is what you call sophisticated PR. Does that make sense? Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. I mean, let, let me share this. And sure. I don't want to, you know, call out journalists or anything because the reality is, I'm not saying it's not their fault, but these PR companies, they don't just send a press release. They've been, you're, you're dealing with very sophisticated, you know, just like how, isn't it interesting how most of the licenses were won by people affiliated with MSOs or one step removed from the existing players? What you're dealing with is you're dealing with very intelligent people who have money. And when you're intelligent and you have money, and a new business comes in, are you really going to say, oh, well, I've got this $2 billion industry. Well, welcome new social equity player. I'm just going to roll over and give you all my customers. Like that doesn't happen. Like it, it, you just don't do that. You see what I mean? So here's the thing. I mean, you can look at that story, but look at this story and I'm going to share my screen real quick. You know, this is in January, alarming jump in kids eating marijuana edibles prompts warning for adults to keep gummies away from kids. And look at this, the number of exposures of edible cannabis amongst children five and younger increased from five to 232, a 4,500% increase. So I'm not saying that those five high school students who bought from that smoke shop, which seems to be a bad actor, like that guy's got that. If, if the regulations that we've been pushing for years were in place, which it's like everyone can agree that you got to be 21 and over to buy this stuff because that's the case for cannabis, alcohol, and cigarettes. If that was there, these kids wouldn't be able to get it. If the, you know labeling the packaging requirements all like it would be no different and many of these issues wouldn't happen the problem is the big companies are preventing these bills from passing i just showed you a bill that was sponsored by four five representatives that kind of disappeared under this hemp ban it's like why these people who are screaming about a public health emergency are the ones actually creating it because they're stopping the regulators from passing the laws to protect our children. And why are they doing it? They're doing it because they just want to make money because if they ban us, they will get more business. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, And dude. it's like, you want to talk calling the kettle black, you're talking a 4,500% increase. Now, here's the other thing. What the cannabis has is they have good PR. And good PR also has a thing called crises management. So that when something like this breaks in one location, they go and they talk to all the other news people and they go say, oh, you've got to present a more balanced view and we're doing this about this. We're doing that about this. You see what I mean? Like they do all those sorts of things. And the difference on the hemp side is we are not billion dollar companies. And because we're not billion dollar companies, we didn't have the resources. Well, and you know what? In fairness, there were hemp companies. You know, we were just reacting. So now what you're going to start seeing is a bunch of more hemp stories coming out that are saying, hey, hemp does good things. Hemp-derived cannabinoids. You know, like 
this is happening, but this is not a public health emergency. Do you see what I mean, Koi? This is just two businesses, two industries fighting each other. And the one industry just happens to be a monopoly. And the other industry is a little more disorganized because we consist of hundreds, if not thousands of small businesses, many who are minority owned, social equity companies and stuff like that. And we have to, you know, it's on us, right? We've got to put a stronger coalition together so we can fight and stand up against um, big cannabis. Yeah, dude. And can I, I want to share this article before I share the video and then we can, we can wrap up. Um, uh, You know, this might be right on the nose, but I think this is what you're talking about. This really brilliant article on LinkedIn that I recently read by Lauren Mundell, Cannabis Public Relations Scares Me and Why It Should Scare You Too. First of all, if you don't understand PR, I'm reading the article, folks, you're not alone. One of the top influencers in PR, Perry Hedrick, often recycles this post and it gets hundreds of comments each time. So I'm displaying the post right now. If you're in PR, your friends and family will never, ever, ever understand what you do for a living, ever. So instead of speaking to other PR people in this article, I'm going to take the approach of explaining what is going on in cannabis PR to my mom. Let me start by acknowledging the crucial role PR agencies play in cannabis industry. They're a vital bridge connecting companies to the media. However, we must examine potential challenges that arise when multiple powerful clients are represented by a single agency. I want to emphasize my, that my intention is not to question professionalism, just like you, Charles. Rather, I aim to explore systemic concerns and their broader implications for the industry to top line it here's why the current state of industry of cannabis pr should scare you and we'll only top line it we won't go any deeper um i i encourage people to read this for themselves to top line it there are evil billionaires and toxic cultures in every industry but in the cannabis industry a majority of the most powerful and well-funded companies are represented by one pr agency Matteo communications each of those powerful clients make up a bulk of the advertising dollars to be spent on industry media and sponsorships and the one pr agency that represents all of these clients directly influence what makes it and doesn't make it into the news I'll stop there. I mean, you know, it's now because now it becomes more philosophical thing. Uh, if you actually, this is in the world of PR <laughs> and marketing. Let me just pull up this. There's a guy called J.R. Brinkley, and he's known as like the father of. <laughs> Hold on, my, my computer's taking a second to load. Let me it's just okay. share the screen. But if you have. It's called Making Them Believe, how one of America's legendary marketers got people to do things. And here's a guy, <laughs> this is in the 20s, he pioneered, a, he pioneered a male enhancement treatment where he basically convinced people that he would transplant goat testicles into them to make them better sexually. Now you laugh about this now, but this guy did it. In fact... He was so good at what he did. And I mean, literally, he just killed people. Like he would, people go under his knife and they would die. I mean, like this was just, this was bad. And it's a great book. But he was so, such a good marketer and like a spin doctor and a propaganda guy and a PR guy that he almost won the governor of, I think it was the state of Kansas that he was in. And the reason why he didn't win was like the real people that were like, oh crap, this guy's such a good marketer. They wouldn't let his name on the ballot. And unless they spelled his name exactly right, they counted that as a different vote. So if you wrote like James Brinkley or 
J.B. Brinkley or J. Brinkley. They counted them as like three different candidates. And despite all that, he almost he was like second place or third place in like the governorship race back in the 20s and 30s. Because he was just so good at PR. Now, we laugh about this, but I mean, there's multiple points in history, right? Think about, you know, what we know of health. You know, we used to think, you know, fat makes you fat. So don't eat any fat and go fat free. And let's all eat sugar and NutraSweet because that's going to make us healthier. And American obesity has increased dramatically because of that. I mean, like, there's all these things of just special interest. And really, I mean, I, 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 I'm not going to, you know, I, I know there's this good versus evil, but I look at this as like cannabis. Those guys know what they do. They know what they do. They can, they have the licenses. They're smart people. They've got a monopoly hold. They've got resources and they're going to hire the best and brightest to try to tell their story, present them in the best light and crush the competition because that's what monopolies do. Yeah. And let's uh, bounce over to this other video, which I think kind of wraps up this entire thought maybe. Um, So uh, you might recognize uh, both of the individuals in this video, but um, this person's really, I think important for drug, drug policy. Um, So let's watch this video that he's a journalist and didn't really go that deep into the role that journalists played in all of this, which was humongous. You know, journalists are sculptors of public opinion, and it became the standard way of reporting on any of these things to say that they're bad, to sensationalize it, and to not have any consideration for what that would do. Because any time a journalist writes some scare story, they can really mess with drug policy in a serious way. It might seem like nothing, like, oh, there's a bunch of people in Brooklyn and they overdosed on some obscure synthetic cannabinoid, AMB Fubinica. Who cares about AMB Fubinica? No big deal. I'll say that it turns people into zombies. And if it gets thrown into Schedule 1, who cares? Not a big deal. Well, that's a very short-sighted way of thinking about all of this because that's exactly what happened with psychedelics. And then we're not learning from the mistakes of the past that just because something it's fun to sensationalize and talk about how dangerous it is at this moment doesn't mean that 10 years from now we're going to recognize that it has serious therapeutic potential and we made a big mistake outlawing it. And I think a lot of that also comes from this sort of us versus them mentality that people have where it's cannabis is good, synthetic cannabinoids are bad. Well, synthetic cannabinoids don't have to be bad for cannabis to be good. Cannabis can be good without something else being bad to counterbalance it. You don't need to hate something to justify your love of cannabis. And this whole hatred of synthetic cannabinoids, I think is totally misdirected because these are products of prohibition that most people wouldn't even want to use in the first place. And when they do use them, they don't know what they're taking. They don't know what dose they're consuming. And so of course they're having bad experiences. That would happen with almost any drug, caffeine included, if people just consumed enormous unmeasured doses without having any idea what they were getting into. And so they're thrown into Schedule 1. Well, what happens if 30 years from now, once the therapeutic potential of cannabinoids is being really seriously explored, we find out that that AMB Fubinica that everyone was saying turned homeless people into zombies in Brooklyn in 2017 turns out to activate a certain subtype of the CB1 receptor that's especially useful for Parkinson's disease or something like that. Mm. Then we're going to regret having done that. So I think people have to be very careful. Anytime you say anything negative about a drug, you have to be very, very careful because the implications can be enormous. I think that the best stance in all of this is to not speak ill of drugs of any drug 
Give the drugs Spoken a break. Spoken like a true drug enthusiast. <laughs> that's that's that. Uh, I think it really touched on a few points that you brought up, which is like the sensationalism and and the fact that, dude, we need to learn the fucking lessons of history. If, if we don't learn the lessons, we're bound to repeat them. Right, the, the same mistakes. You know what I'm saying? And, and this happened with psychedelics, and here here it's happening again. Well. Yeah, and so isn't it crazy is also... that it's that the the cannabis companies are behind it? Kind of the people that should be championing legalization, they're pushing for almost further criminalization. Just a thought. No, it's it's. It, it, I mean, it is and it isn't right. It is. If we lived in like a utopia where, you know, you know, all this happened, we wouldn't have to lock our doors. We wouldn't, you know, have to worry about gun violence. We wouldn't have to worry. You know, it's it's just the reality. People are people. We're jealous <laughs> we're jealous bad people that want our own interests and guys like you know ben from gti and many of these other companies they have a fiduciary responsibility to maximize shareholder returns so it's not like you know like heck we know the you know it's funny we were sitting there like all these cannabis guys that were basically trying to get us banned i mean Ball, right so there's i mean i'll i'll call one guy out because i'm kind of tweaked at him you know there's brendan from pharmacan and brendan is their main government affairs guy and you know he's come to us before and said hey we want to work from you he's wanted to learn from us we've educated it on stuff he's tried to buy stuff from us you know nothing ever came through and he's out there literally telling everyone that we're awful and we're you know He's telling him like we're we're breaking the law, and it's a at first it's kind of ironic because we're actually federally legal and they're not. But you know that's another thing. But what happens is first they say we're breaking the law, then we say hey we're willing to do all this stuff. Then they say well we don't really care because it's just not fair. Do you see what I mean? It's and, and literally I mean. At the end of uh, one of the working group conversations about this, one of the cannabis guys spent probably five minutes ranting. I mean, it was almost, it was, it was like looking at a five-year-old on a playground. Like there was no rational, there was no rationality. It was all about, it's not, it really boiled down to, it's not fair and we're not going to keep being able to make the amount of money we're making because you can now compete against us and you're not going to be limited like us. It's just crazy, that's, man. Well, I mean, that's what it boils down to. So what happens is these smart people, they use whatever means necessary, right? Because it's no different than you, right? If you were making a million bucks a year doing what you were doing and you saw someone else coming in that might knock your million right. down to say half a million a year, you kind of like making a million bucks a year. So you will do whatever is necessary. Maybe it's a little distasteful and they're not breaking the law. You know, they're not breaking the law. They're just pushing things a little. And you might say it's a little distasteful and, you know, I don't feel I would stoop to that level, but who knows, right? Maybe I would, if I was in their shoes and maybe you would in their shoes too. And that's why we need to actually educate and trust that our regulators and our government officials, you know, right. It's like, it's like my kids, 
I cannot trust my six-year-old. Well, when my, my son's older now, but when my son was six, I I can't trust him to like not eat all the cookies. As a parent, I have to, you know, set the boundaries, set the rules and do all this sort of stuff and educate myself on, hey, the kids can eat all the cookies just because. So we need to set rules so that doesn't happen. And that's what the regulators and our government officials do is businesses, capitalists, we're out there competing and, you know, it's tough and it's, you know, balls to the walls, whatever. And they need to make sure that the rules are aligned, that the playing field is what it is that new businesses and new opportunities can continue to develop and that innovation happens. Because this is really what it is. It's you've got a monopoly who's making a lot of money that wants to crush innovation and prevent it from entering a market and prevent progress and development and small business growth and real social equity and all these other sorts of things because it's competition. That's right. what it is. And I mean, they say it themselves. You can look up the interviews or their or even their statements. They look for limited markets. They they look for places where it's hard, barriers to entry. They they don't want it to be easy to get a license. They look for high barriers to entry. It's hard. You have to the the licensing process itself must be competitive, not the business model, right? Yeah. So and, it's interesting. And one, yeah, and one thing you know, the simple way to solve it is. I don't know, give every hemp business an opportunity to get it. If you know, they say, you know, we need to be regulated under the CRTA, you need to be too. Say, fine, we'll regulate. We'll follow the same rules as you do. Just give us a license sure. and we'll Let's call it a day. But, but they won't do that though. And, and that's where it boils down to. Uh-huh. That's right. That's right. And Which... ultimately the consumer suffers because of these sorts of policies. Yeah. So people can Google Chai Tiva, uh, like Chicago, Sativa, C-H-I-T-I-V-A. Um, Charles, anything that we didn't cover today that that you wanted to talk about? I know we went anywhere and everywhere, but I feel like we basically covered all of our bases and more. Yeah, I mean, it's really the context of what's going on. We can get into like the weeds about what actually happened or whatnot, sure. but I mean, that's just, that's the weeds, right? The big picture is you've got a monopoly. They're very sophisticated. And they basically engineered a hit campaign to try to take out an industry. And we survived literally by hook and crook and by the fact that there were smart politicians who stopped for a second and said, wait, this doesn't sound right. And I, again, I'm not going to call anyone out, but I'm grateful for our representation who had the foresight not to get caught up by all this scaremongering and PR tactics and everything and look to themselves and say, hey, let's actually regulate this stuff because there are good people and responsible businesses that want to be regulated and let's actually grow the economy, offer more choices and allow for more innovation in the state of Illinois. Yeah, and I guess the thought I'm going to leave you with, Charles, and I'll leave it to other people that are listening. First of all, if you've listened this far, you're a goddamn saint. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've been going for a while. Yeah. Uh, but here's what I'll leave you with, Charles, and our listeners. Um, it, you know, as soon as people are ready, and I'm not trying to make this like a litmus test type of thing, but I think history will reflect kindly on on those that are willing to, to call people out. And that's one of the interesting things about the cannabis industry is that everybody is, and I'm not trying to litmus test you right now, Charles, I'm saying this to our listeners too. Um, 
it's interesting how everybody is still trying to play nice because we all know in Illinois, you kind of got to get along to get along. And I get it. I'm not trying to fault anybody for not like kind of being like, hey, motherfucker, you did this. You did that. You know what I mean? I get it. But I, I to another to another note, just for folks that are listening, um, you know, I think that calling a spade a spade will uh, history will reflect kindly upon you. So don't don't hesitate. Uh, to say what you think you see and, and what you believe and always be mindful. Don't, don't, you know, we all have our own implicit biases. We all have our own perceptions. So it's possible that you're perceiving things wrong or that your biases are playing into things. So keep that in mind before you speak out. But folks, I want to leave you with that. Don't be afraid to speak out and, and you see something, say something, you know? So uh, I'll leave you with that. Charles, any thoughts before we go? Uh. Oh wow! Hey Steve, what is this? Okay, so this is hey, why don't you hop in real quick? Hi. This is Steve, my chef. How are hey, you? And here we have what is this, Steve? It's a matcha tea with lemon. Okay, it's a la matcha tea with lemon and some fresh raspberries. And some fresh raspberries. So Looks this is delicious. Made by a James Beard award-winning chef, and we have them in non-infused, but we can also infuse them. So when you come, we're gonna have a blast, Cole. Absolutely, dude. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we'll be in touch, Charles. Uh, just want to thank you again for your time tonight. Oh, wait, hold on. One more. Got look more? At this thing. Whoa. What is this? Oh, okay, I got to hold on to it. Pick it up, set it back on the raspberry. Okay, this is on res. Oh, I, I, I got it. Okay, I guess I got to eat it. No, for your buddies. Oh. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, so this is what it is, right? This is what we want in this industry. We, we want innovation. We want class. We want more interesting things than the boring crap that we've had for the last four years because a small set of people are exerting monopoly power. Simple as that. Yeah. Well, folks, I'm going to go to Chaitiva. You should too. If Charles didn't inspire you with his values, uh, maybe he will with his product. Um, uh, thank you, folks, for listening. Take Great. care. Thanks, Cole. Bye.